This episode is brought to you by FX's The Veil, starring Elizabeth Moss. FX's The Veil is an international spy thriller that follows two women as they play a deadly game of truth and lies on the road from Istanbul to Paris and London. One woman has a secret, and the other has a mission to reveal it before thousands of lives are lost. FX's The Veil, now streaming, only on Hulu. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and... 6-1 since that matters. And what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Hello and welcome to Series 7, Episode 15 of Out with Susie Ruffle. I think this is the 99th episode, which is amazing to me. I'm very, very pleased to still be sharing it from my little tiny box room where it started. I mean, I say box room, it really was a cupboard in those first few series in my little flat in South East London, not really knowing who was going to listen to it and sending it out during the lockdown because I needed something to do. And now there's this gorgeous community that listen every week and I really, really appreciate it. So I want to start with a little thanks to you guys for listening and for being so gorgeous. When I meet you after shows, it really means a lot. I met some lovely people in Cardiff this week. That was very special. And also in Newcastle, um, a couple of people really stand out that said that the podcast really meant something to them. And maybe you know who you are if you're listening to this, and it really meant the world to me, the conversations that we had, so thank you. I feel I need to apologise for my voice, it's slightly croaky, I will let you know that it's 6.30am. I've had quite a busy week, and so I decided to get up before the baby got up this morning and record this, so apologies if I sound a bit croaky. I've been up for about half an hour, but the vocal cords aren't quite awake yet, so apologies for that. Maybe I sound sort of husky and sort of like I do late night jazz radio or something. Anyway, thank you so much for everyone that got in touch after Laura Kay's episode last week. It seems that everyone really enjoyed that and I think she's brilliant and lots of you have said that you're going to buy her books, which I really recommend. I finished her book Wild Things this week and I loved it. It's a little gorgeous piece of community inside of a book and I just love all that. So it was brilliant. Yeah, it re I really related to so much of it. So maybe, maybe you will too. Okay, let's get on with today's conversation. We have a fantastic episode with the brilliant Anna Richardson. And so I'm very, very excited to share that. This will be the last episode of the series. We're going to have a little break over the summer and then I'll be back with some new episodes probably around October time, I think. That's how it usually works. So you'll have a little break. But if you haven't listened to the back catalogue, please do. There's lots of great episodes. Quite often people say to me, oh, I, I start with all the really famous people and then I went back and listened to the people that aren't famous. And actually I enjoyed those ones just as much or I enjoyed the ones that I hadn't heard of people even more because I was learning about their whole story. And so maybe if you're someone that hasn't listened to it all, you might enjoy those over the summer. How can I know? Just maybe. Right. Okay, I've got a couple of gorgeous emails to share and then we'll get on with today's conversation. Hi Susie, I came to watch your show in Hereford and since have been listening to the podcast, I went back to the start. 
I've been assumed straight my entire life, although I always felt that I wasn't who I really was. As a child, I wanted nothing more than to fit in. I felt invisible, unwanted, and generally my self-worth was low. As a result, I spent much of my teens and 20s engaging in risky and often abusive relationships with men, chasing validation and ultimately love, but in all the wrong places. Though there were times I would engage in sexual relations with girls, this was often to please men. Or, on one occasion, a girl approached me socially to get my number, and when I showed interest, my friends reacted negatively, suggesting that I was being odd in exchanging numbers, probably because they considered me straight. They are supportive of the LGBTQIA community, though. It was just a little different 10 to 15 years ago. To cut a long story short, I met a man and had my daughter, now four. And when I was pregnant with my son, now two, he left me in a very traumatic and abusive way. In healing from that trauma and in therapy, revisiting trauma from my past and unpicking a lot of the person I thought I needed to be versus the person I am, I find myself completely lost and confused about defining my sexuality and what I want in the future. I find myself attracted to non-binary and trans people as well as men and women. I think that I'm pansexual. It's the definition that I feel fits me best. For me, it's always been about a person's persona, their energy, how they make me feel, regardless of gender. I now, though, find myself at 35, restarting the dating game, in the deep and unsure of where to start. However, your podcast has given me the confidence to engage in LGBTQIA plus network events at work. I attended Hereford Pride this year with the kids and have opened up to a few of my close friends about how I'm feeling. So even though... I may be years from having the confidence to date and the complexity of it feels overwhelming. You've been a great source of comfort listening to others and the write-ins. I think Duncan's James episode particularly made me feel like I'm not alone in coming to the scene later in life. Thanks for the light that you're putting into this world and making it a little less scary. I hope the baby's meltdowns over crazy shit is easing. My daughter is getting better. They woke me up at 12 last night because she couldn't make a heart shape with her hands. Now my son is going into a meltdown because his cheese is cubed and not grated. Wish me luck. Two so close in age, on my own, is pure insanity. And I'm not going to share your name because you haven't told me whether I can or not. And because I'm aware you're still working out how to come out, I won't share that. But... I was delighted to receive your email. And there's no right time to come out. Also, 35 is not even late. Don't worry about that. Or no right time to work out exactly who you are. I think that, you know, the older I get and the more queer people that I chat to, I realise it's people are constantly on sort of a sliding scale or finding things later in life, learning things about themselves. And there's no time where you need to be out by. It's not like a, a race to coming out. Whenever's right for you is right for you. And I hope that you're doing okay. I'm sorry that you had such an awful experience with that relationship and that you're working through your trauma. And I hope that you're getting all the help that you need. And I'm so pleased that this podcast has been a source of friendship or comfort or just information. And I was really delighted to read your email. And thank you for coming to the show. I appreciate that as well. Okay, I have one more email to share. Hello, Susie. I have been a like-minded friend for a couple of years and recently started subscribing to Out. I've now started training back to find interviews with some of my very own inspirations, like Alan Carr, Scott Mills, Jess Foster Q and Joe Lyso are all in the queue waiting for me to listen. If you ever decide you want to do an out with a non-famous person, I would love to share my story. Here it goes. I am currently an out 40-year-old gay man, and I feel like I'm finally living my truest self after coming out in 2019 at the age of 36. My journey has been long, and while I have regrets about not coming out sooner, I cannot change this 
and have to find a way to accept it. Sometimes when I'm in a conversation with my partner, friends or family, there's often a conversation about my coming out. And we're not really sure where to start or I have ever been ready to fully accept my identity. As a teacher, I've always tried to promote the idea that each individual must be ready to find their own path on their own journey. But ultimately, I have regrets as to why I didn't act sooner. I have an amazingly supportive family and I think that if I made the decision 10 years earlier, it would have been just as well received. But the point is, I never saw myself in the closet. I just saw myself as someone who wasn't quite sure where they were in life. For 10 years, I worked as a teacher in a faith-based school. There was never any pressure for them not to identify as queer, but I internalised this fear. And for many of those 10 years, I found myself throwing everything into my career. At times, I would work 14 to 15 hour days, five days a week, and then fill my weekends with other jobs and roles. Almost a fear that if I had time in my head to stop and think, I might have to face reality. I wasn't ready for it. At the end of the 10 years, I decided to change schools and move to a more diverse and creatively focused college that completely changed my life. Gender neutral toilets, young people free to explore their identity, a married gay couple as their senior leaders, and all just a few bus stops from the city. Had I been living in a heteronormative bubble for too long? I always thought of myself as accepting and open and comfortable, but suddenly I realised all was not right. I had battled anxiety and depression, body image issues, and the yo-yo of weight and appearance for almost 10 years, and suddenly being exposed to this world, gently nestling next to my career, I realised I had to find a way where both existed together. I slowly started making decisions to make better choices. A huge friendship rift in my early 30s had seen me isolated from multiple hetero couples that I was used to and started spending time with new friends and communities that eventually caused me to open up the apps and start the search for a romantic connection with a man. Saying it out loud was the hardest thing to cope with. There have been flirtations with my queerness throughout my former years, but they sat in a part of my head as denial. As a 20-year-old, I tried a gay sauna in Sydney, but almost ran away because a guy tried to touch my knee. I own two copies of Attitude, one with Will Meller and another with Chris Fountain, hidden amongst my FHM and Empire magazines. I had two or three dalliances with my gay friends, but these were never spoken of again. I had a more serious dalliance with a gay friend on holiday, but was rejected, so that threw me back further into denial. I considered bisexuality might have been part of my identity in my early 20s, but felt ashamed of my use of this very quickly as it felt untrue. I had three girlfriends in my 20s, and only one was I able to seal the deal with. I think I always knew that heterosexuality was not going to be my pathway, but what else could I do? I felt that I had to follow the expectations of my friendship circles. However, 2018 was the start to find my true identity. The dating world was vicious. Explaining that you're 25 and newly out was not easy. I fell in love too quickly after just one date, and I still felt I had to hide my true self from all around me. However, things had to change, and these changes came thick and fast. First, I came out to my closest friends and sisters in 2018. Then more explicitly became more comfortable with dating in public, attending pride events, and then I got in my first serious relationship in 2019. This came as a crossroads, as I decided to leave my teaching career to explore more of my identity and accept the fact that my obsession with my career developments was limiting me. During my leaving speech in 2019, I epically came out, mic drop moment, 
and it was received with whoops and cheers from my colleagues who could truly see how happy I was fitting into my own skin at last. The next day I came out to my mum, still with the fear about my dad. He's from a certain time period, I think we all say. I asked her to tell him. I felt ashamed of this and he was of course hurt initially, but they have both been brilliant since. From there, it was a beautiful journey of self-discovery and acceptance on my terms and on my own route. It's obviously not all been plain sailing. My first relationship broke down during the first lockdown when I realised my new identity had been a bit of a vulnerability and my ex had used this as a controlling mechanism. I realised the level of manipulation during April 2020 after quite a toxic FaceTime. I found the strength to end it shortly afterwards and enter the world of dating again. 37 years old, a little more comfortable in my skin and not having to hide a thing. So where am I now? in a loving relationship of two years with a man who fully accepts me for who I am and my journey. He moved in last August and I can see our future together very clearly and I'm happy. I love him so much and I have never had a doubt. I found my community. Joining a random gay men WhatsApp group from an Instagram gay in December 2020 turned out to be the absolute lifesaver during the second lockdown. That group streamlined and formed a little global community where between 30 and 40 of us who all still communicate and meet up and go to festivals together. This is the group where I met my partner. We both owe so much to our very foundations of our friends from that group and I wish I could name them all here but I haven't got time. My time of teaching was rewarding and I returned to teaching just as the lockdowns were coming to a close. I felt more accepted and had the inner strength to say no when my workload seemed too high. I'm just finishing a temporary contract in a faith-based school where I know I am loved, I am seen and I can be myself without any fear. I start a new school in September where I can see myself settling and being focused for the next few years. I am prouder than I've ever been. Although I can't make up for the 16 to 18 years where I was not truly myself, I believe everything happens for a reason. Listening to you and your guests reassures me and inspires me to keep sharing my story as no one person's story is the same. Thank you, Susie, and thank you for what you're doing. And that is from G. I thought those two emails worked beautifully together because the, the second one, obviously G has experienced a whole myriad of things in just his short time of being out, but it's got such a happy ending and that he's in love and he's got a better workload and... He's about to start a new job where he feels like he can be himself. And so I thought it would be lovely to end on one that was so hopeful. And I'm so delighted that this podcast has been that for you. And maybe the first person who emailed in, who I also didn't name, hopefully this second email is uh, is a little source of joy and hope to you because it's never too late. It's never, ever too late. Okay, let's get on with today's conversation. Apologies once again for my croaky voice. I hope that you don't mind too much. In the conversation, it was it was midday and I'd had a coffee, so it's, it's it's much, much better. It's a brilliant conversation with Anna Richardson. I really hope that you enjoy it. Oh, hi, listener. Um, I'm very excited for today's conversation. It is with Anna Richardson, who I'm sure you'll be aware, she is an award-winning presenter, producer and journalist with over 20 years experience at the heart of British broadcasting. Now, you will know her from The Big Breakfast, Sex Education Show, Super Size versus Super Skinny, Naked Attraction and many, many more. As a presenter, I always find her interested, always kind and always honest, brave enough to take on subjects and stories that most others would fear. And I am delighted to be talking to her today. Hello, Anna. Hello, you. What a lovely intro. Thank you so much, Susie. What but a lovely it's true. 
It's true. I think that you do, because I, I always do a bit of research when people come on the show and I've been watching back different things that you've done and watched a few bits on YouTube from forever oh ago. Oh my God. You don't look any different. Correct. And that is Botox <laughs> for you, darling. Long may it rain. But I think that's the thing that is, you're very good at being non-judgmental, which I think is, because I think sometimes you watch people do things and they're trying to be non-judgmental, but you can sort of see maybe in the back of their, somewhere in their brain, they're having a judgment. But I think you're very good at being an open book. So do you think it's that, that with some people, you can see that they're not being authentic. They're not being their authentic selves. Yeah, or they're wincing slightly. Exactly. So do you know what? That's very kind to say, thank you for that. I, I think I've talked about this a little bit before. I was brought up, in a vicarage. So my dad's a vicar. And in my, an actual vicarage? In an actual vicarage. Like the little house next to a church? A hundred percent. Really old one? A really old vicarage. Was it haunted? Well, the the, the church was haunted. <gasps> so, and I'm very, very sensitive to that. I mean, we're going to go off on a whole oh, different no, thing. No, that's fine. Welcome I'm to very sensitive with Susie Ruffle. Yeah. <laughs> go on, tell I'm me about that. I'm very, very sensitive about all of that because where, where I was brought up was in a place called well, actually, we lived all over the place, but in a place called Nantwich in mm-hmm. Cheshire. Yep. And the church is very famous. It's a medieval church. Mm. And the house, the rectory, is built in the graveyard, basically. So when me and my brothers <sighs> were kids and we were digging around and playing in the garden. <gasps> oh, no, digging? Yeah, we're totally, we, we'd dig up dead bodies. No, no, so, yeah, no, but, but no. not like recent dead bodies, but well, no, we'd, we'd not. dig up. <laughs> We would dig up people like plague bones. So the graveyard would clearly on our garden. And we'd go to dad going, dad, got another jawbone or dad got another leg. And he'd be like, okay, kids, I'm going to have to go and bury these again. So yeah, I mean, my my childhood was quite sort of <laughs> Now, like, of course you don't care about looking at dicks or naked attractions. Exactly. You were digging up bones as a child. I was digging up heads. So, so with my childhood, it was a very, very open house. So when your father's a priest and you, you're brought up in a vicarage, it's it literally is an open house. So the doorbell would go and there'd either be the bishop standing there or it might be, you know... Great hats, um, bishops. Oh, exactly. The best hats, I'd say. Incredible hats. And they always wear the entire thing. Do they? they? Absolutely. It's always massive, massive hats. You all know, the, the whole garb, all the robes, the whole scepter thing. The whole thing. It's all they ever wear. Oh, I love it. So they would turn up at the front door. They'd knock on the door with the scepter. That's it. That's you it. may enter. Exactly, <laughs> like Black Rod. Yeah, exactly. Um, so it'd either be the bishop or there would be like a homeless person or mm. a drug addict or a couple wanted to get married or a bereaved couple. So you got very used to, as a child, welcoming everybody into your space. So I think that that was the best kind of training ground for me, just going, I accept you, whoever you are, and I'm interested in your story. That's so brilliant because I was, and that ignorantly of me, I sort of thought, oh, because your dad was, uh, was he a canon? He is, yes, yes. he's a canon, yeah. So, And that's C of E, isn't it, Anglican? Yes. Yes, yeah. So part of me wondered whether actually... It was sort of quite sheltered in a way, in the way that I guess lots of people that maybe go to church a lot. So people that I've had on the show before where they've talked about, oh God, no, we wouldn't talk about this, we wouldn't talk about that. But I suppose if you're actually in the house where you have to be open to everyone, it's a different experience. Yes, but there is a real contradiction there because even though the household was very open and we were very exposed to different people within the parish, as a family, we were very closed. Mm. So there were a lot of secrets, a lot of lies, a lot of we don't talk about that. Um, Oh, right. 
yeah, a, a lot of perhaps a little bit of dysfunction growing up within our family. So it was very outward looking. It was very, we have to attend to the people within the parish. And I think that that then meant that there might have been a little bit of not taking care perhaps mm. of what was going on at home. And I mean, that led ultimately to my parents splitting up when mm. I was 10. And then our family fractured when I was that age because I was sent to boarding school. My older brother was sent to boarding school, but my little brother remained with my dad. So very, very suddenly we had this kind of implosion, yeah, of a family. So little Anna, how religious were, you know, I don't know how, how religious you are now, but what's that like growing up where it's like, well, this is a given that this is how we as a family. I think it, it made me really curious. Yeah. Um, it made me very respectful and accepting of religion, which mm. I still am now. I wouldn't consider myself to be a religious person. I'm very much a spiritual person, mm. very much a spiritual person. But I respect that religion gives us a framework, mm -hmm. a very important framework for a lot of people, actually. Yeah. And I still will go to church if I feel that urge yeah. to. So it's, it's not often, but occasionally I feel that pull to go to church because I, I feel the need to, if you like, respect or honour something more than me. And I find it very comforting. And I suppose that's sort of a, an indication of like a time before for you yes. as well. Like, I guess, a, a safety, yeah. a home, you know, and there's something about the sort of, in, in really good churches where someone really cares about it. I don't mean how much money they've got or how big it is, but I mean when you can tell that it's really loved by the people. This, you can sort of tell that when you walk in, can't you? Exactly. So I think you're, you're right. There is, maybe it is a search for sort of family or acceptance or a safety. I think you're absolutely right, but I feel very comfortable mm. in a church environment. And it maybe it is harking back to my childhood mm. and a safety. But yeah, I feel very at home there. And so when you were 10 and you went off to boarding school, mm. what was that like? Really difficult. Yeah, because I sort of find the idea of that quite scary. It was very, very difficult because obviously it was a, a, a time of trauma and change at mm -hmm. home. So, you know, my mum and dad split up. My siblings and I were, were you know, completely fractured and sent away to different places. Yeah. So it was, it was trauma. It was traumatic. Yeah, of course. But it's absolutely shaped me and who I am as a person. So sort of 10-year-old me got dispatched off to an all-girls boarding school. And I remember very clearly on night one being left with my wooden trunk and, you know, my, my parents sort of disappearing off down, you know, down the lane. Mm. And I can remember sitting there and thinking, okay, you know, I mean, it was sort of like prisoner cell block age and sitting there thinking, you're either going to sink or you're going to swim. And I've got to swim. And I remember making that 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 choice very clearly when I was 10. So it's been the making of me. Yeah. So what did that look like then? Like getting involved? It, it looked like actually defending myself. And I'm still very much like that as a person. So you and I have talked before about what anxiety looks mm -hmm. like for people, how you do your anxiety. Yes. And you either do your anxiety by fight, mm -hmm. flight, where you, you know, you, you abandon. Yep. Or freeze, where you just absolutely freeze in your anxiety and you can't do anything and you become totally static. So for me, I'm a fighter and also a little bit of a fleer. But certainly when I was 10, I couldn't flee boarding yeah, school. Yeah, I mean, yeah, you can't get around. So for me, it, it was, I'm a fighter. So not, not a physical fighter, but in terms of, you want to try it, fine, you try it. 
And actually that meant that I was then left alone. Mm. So, and I was very popular at school actually. So maybe a little bit like you, I learned as well. So I was the gobshite. I was the one that was like, you want to take me on? Fine, let's take take me on. Mm. But I was also the sort of the funny gobshite that became popular by having a bit of a laugh with the girls. So that was my survival technique. Yeah, I was definitely, I wasn't, I wasn't popular at school, but being funny was the, the, the thing that got me out of a lot of trouble. Of course. Because it would be how I deflected everything. Of course, it's, it's your safety zone. Mm. It's, it's your way of being accepted. And control. And of course, of course. So all of that makes sense to yeah. me. That whole, I'm going to perform and I'm going to kick off or perform because it's <laughs> yeah. a way of controlling the situation and feeling safe within an unsafe, chaotic environment. And were you a performer? With my friend, yeah, I suppose I, I was certainly in the classroom and with my mates. I've always been, you know, I'm up for a laugh. I'm up for the party. I wanted to go into the school play, mm-hmm. lie in the witch in the wardrobe in case uh, in case anybody wants to know. <laughs> Who did you play? I played Peter. So even then, sure. it's kind of, <laughs> obviously I played a, a boy. Even though I've got massive tits, it was kind of like, sort of, you know, clearly shouldn't have been playing a teenage boy but I played Peter in The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. So yeah, I suppose I, I was a bit of a performer, maybe, mm. but I also was quite academic. So it was important to me that, that I was learning and that I was getting the, the grades that I needed. That was very much drilled into us as children mm. at home. It's like, you know, we're paying for your education. It's really important. Right. You will go to university. You will do well in your life academically. So it was important to me to be a square academically but then basically get you know expelled for being bad was your mum a school teacher as well yes so So that must have added to that totally and again thinking about my parents you know they came from a very working class background Mm. um but both of them went to university right exactly so think about that I guess in in the must have been sort of maybe early 60s. So that's huge because the generation after and then even more the generation after that which is sort of between you and I, I guess. Yes. Where it became very normal for people of working class background, you know, sort of in the Tony Blair years when everyone could go. But I guess in the 60s, that would have been quite rare. Certainly for my for my mum, if you think about for, for women. For women, yeah, huge. So for, for my mother to go to university, and, and her sister did as, as well, I believe. But yeah, I'm hugely grateful to both my parents that they put a big emphasis on education. Mm. And I was fortunate enough to get a really good education. So, you know, I look back and I'm very grateful to them for that. Yeah. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. This episode is brought to you by Etsy. Sound the gifting panic alarm. You need to get an amazing gift. Wait, no, the perfect gift. Relax. Now you can use gift mode on Etsy. Gift Mode on Etsy takes the stress out of gifting, so you can find the perfect item for anyone and any occasion. It's easy. Just tap or click Gift Mode on your Etsy app or Etsy.com. Then answer a few short questions about who you're shopping for and what they like. And Gift Mode instantly gives you curated gift ideas based on hundreds of personas. Now it's simple to find gifts made by independent sellers for all the people in your life. 
So whether you need a housewarming gift for the new homeowner or a birthday present for the pickleballer, Gift Mode has you covered. Need to find the perfect gift? Don't panic. Try Gift Mode on Etsy now. Today, Healthier is happening at CVS Health in more ways than you've ever seen. It's wellness destinations for seniors, including select locations with Oak Street Health and CVS Pharmacy. It's doctors, nurses, pharmacists, and everyone in between, offering quality care and support virtually, in person, and on the phone. It's in-home evaluations through Signify Health and meeting mental health needs through Aetna. And those are just a few of the ways Healthier is happening. To see more, visit cvshealth.com slash healthierhappenstogether. CVS Pharmacy, Oak Street Health, CVS Specialty, Signify Health, and Aetna are part of CVS Health. Eligibility and services vary by location and individual. Obviously, we talk about coming out and being out. And I know I said to you, which I always ask people before they come on the show, just so I don't make any assumptions. But I said, oh, how do you identify? And you said, well, I just identify as me, Mm. which I love. But tell me how you feel about labels. Because the reason I ask this is because quite often, and certainly for myself, it was during those secondary school years that I first became aware of that I felt differently about the girls than what some of my other friends felt. I had a lot of very intense female friendships yes where I was sort of in love with them yeah but they had boyfriends which I found utterly devastating but talk to me a little bit about how you feel about labels and then okay okay so I mean I've talked quite a lot about this so people may well have heard me say this before but I identify as (laughs) I identify as me Mm -hmm. I'm just Anna Mm -hmm. and I don't, I personally don't like labels. Mm -hmm. I think I respect the fact that they can be very useful, Mm -hmm. but for me, I find them a hindrance. However, as, as somebody pointed out to me recently, of course, your biggest label is your name. Mm. So actually you are labeled, that primary label is so, so crucial, Mm. but I identify as me. And maybe that, that is to do with, again, when I was younger, I was always on the outside. When you're a vicar's child, you're on the outside because you're poor, but you're part of the establishment. You're poor, but you're respected, right. if, if that makes sense. Yeah. Because the vicar, the priest within a community, especially if you're in a very sort of tight town or a tight village, certainly in the 70s and the 80s, you know, the, the, the priest, the vicar was very respected. You know, oh, yeah. My, my mother's an RE teacher, so it's a very respected profession. Yes. But we had no money. So I was always on the outside. And then when I was sent to boarding school, you know, I was sent on a bursary, basically. My parents couldn't afford to send me. So again, you're the kid that couldn't afford the school Mm. uniform. So wearing a secondhand school uniform, but in a posh school. So I've always been othered. Mm. And I kind of accept that I'm slightly different from, from other kids, if you like. And like you... I had some huge crushes on girls at school, some very intense friendships. Mm. And I guess that, yeah, maybe I was in love with with some of the girls at school because you're living cheek by jowl 24 hours yeah. a day. Yeah, so massively I think, at yeah. boarding school. That must be very you, intense. You're literally in the next bed yeah. to, you know, to, to, to the girls in your dorm. So I think I probably did fall in love with some of my friends at school, but I've never identified as being lesbian or straight or whatever it happens to be, I'm I'm just me and I've had both lesbian and straight relationships. Mm. So yeah, I just think you fall in love with who you fall in love with. Oh yeah, absolutely. And I'm sure loads of people will really relate to that because I think that it's, as you say, I think labels can be useful and there's certainly a time when they've been enormously useful when yes. we're talking about, you know, fighting for rights and different things like that. But, you know, as language is changing, as our lexicon is changing about how we identify I think that it's 
it's important to also be able to say to people, it's okay if you don't feel like any of these names suit you. That's okay. Yeah, everything you've just said there, I completely agree with. Of course, labels have been important in the past in terms of our rights. Yes, absolutely. However, however we choose to talk about that, it could be feminism, it, Mm -hmm. it could be trans rights, it could be LGBTQI, you know, whatever. But certainly for me, as I've got older, I now choose not to label Mm. myself. And I think that's fine. I think that that's, well, not that you need my approval, but I, you know, I think that labels can also be quite constricting. Yeah. I think for some people you get a label and you go, oh, I feel a bit relieved. Mm. But actually I've spoken to other people and to friends where they go, oh, I I feel so much pressure to be a specific thing because what if I change? Well, exactly. And I think maybe, maybe that's what I've struggled with a bit because certainly, so I was around growing up quite a few gay people actually mm. and certainly within the church and also within my wider family and and, and, the, and the community basically mm. you know the congregation well, so, so I, you're talking about when you were a child or yeah. when you were oh right okay yeah, yeah. So, so, so you were aware of gay people yeah yeah mm. I, I was and again you know our, our household was very very open mm. so I was very aware of that and very accepting of it but I found that in my own experience of when I left my partner and I met Sue mm. Perkins and started a relationship with Sue, so I left a, a straight relationship to go into a lesbian relationship with, with Sue. And the attitude that I had from a lot of people going, they found it funny that it was kind of like, oh, oh my God, what? what? You're now with a girl? Oh, that's hilarious. And it was like, well, no, it's not hilarious. It's not hilarious. Why is it funny? So I found that very confusing. Yeah, and also that's really diminishing of your experience like the, the the idea that it's like oh my god like I don't know where to look it's like, yes. like it's sort of doing that thing that I hate that often happens to to women who have relationships with other women where it's seen as sort of a bit of a kink or like a bit of a hot like a oh you're doing this like it's a yeah and then then it totally takes away the fact that you fall in love with a person exactly so for me it was a case of we fell in love with each other mm. I fell in love with a woman I fell in love with a person and you know she she was and is and will always be extraordinary so I fell in love and I found it incredibly difficult the people that found that funny mm. and then of course you get the which you'll know the whole thing of well what do you do in bed oh. And what do you do in bed? And you've been with a guy all this time, so you're missing cock, all oh, that kind God. of thing. Was that from, like, friends? Just kind of, yeah, and, and to everyone. I mean, I'm a very open person. Yeah. So I suppose it's just, and, and do you know what? I don't, in a way, I don't blame people for having that natural curiosity because it is a natural curiosity yeah. to go, well, what do you do? And yeah. especially if you've been with a guy. But then the reverse has happened. You know, Sue and I are no longer together and I've met, a guy that I'm with now. So then the reverse happened, which is like, well, you're with a guy. Oh my God. Well, what do you guys do? after? So I found it very confusing. And that's really, it really like resolves whole relationships with whole people down to like, like sex is quite a small part of a relationship. Exactly. Like it's such a, obviously like, you know, everyone wants to be having good sex and I hope that every listener is. Well, actually, not everyone wants to have sex, but it doesn't actually, it's not the biggest part no. of a relationship. It can be the biggest part of a new relationship, of, sure. Of course, and it but, is it's and it's really important, important when you first meet somebody. And it's important to feel connected to someone in a, you know, in, in, in that intimate way, if that's something that you want with your partner. But to reduce a whole relationship down to, oh, and now you're doing something different. Yeah. 
And what what, what, what do you do? Oh, but yeah. I think just, yeah, I, I found it difficult and challenging that, that other people can't seem to get their head around the fact that I've fallen in love with this person who happens to be a man. Oh, I've fallen in love with this person who happens to be a woman. Mm-hmm. And it's about people. Yes. But I think, I think that in... 15 years time, people will be like, oh, Anna was sort of ahead of her time by not using a label. Because I think that, you know, from listening to like listeners that get in touch to this podcast and chatting to people after shows, I think it's so much more flexible than we've than we've traditionally thought. 100%. And do you not think that's what's going on with, with teens? So I'm, I mentor um, a teenager, a, a trans boy at school at the moment. Oh, right, okay. And... Um, when I talk to him, and it's 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 lovely going in to see him, but when I talk to him about his friendship circle, he's all like, yeah, you know, so-and-so uh, is in love with so-and-so. I mean, they're obviously the same gender. They're just in love with each other, but then they might swap next week. It's all, you know, yeah, so-and-so's trans. No, so-and-so's non-binary. It's absolutely normal yeah. for that generation. Yeah. And God, how wonderful. Thank God. Yes, I agree. Is. Now, I'm interested. When you... Because you mentioned Sue. I, I didn't know whether that was something... I know, I know that you mentioned that you, you, you uh, used to be with Sue, but I was wondering whether there was sort of, alongside your friends asking a lot of questions, was there like a media intrusion as well? Because Sue's famous. Yes. And, you know, you were famous too. You were someone that was on the telly. You had done stuff like Big Breakfast and Love Bites by that point. So you were... You'd done like the Sex Education Show yeah, and things yeah, like yeah. that. So like I'd, you I'd were... done a lot for Channel 4, but but Sue was very much more, you know... She was Bake Off Sue. Yeah, she was Bake Off Sue. So, you know, had reached a massive level in, in, in her Arguably life. like what the most famous lesbian on telly in yeah, the UK? Probably one, one of, with, with, um, with Sandy, Sandy Toxby. With Sandy and Claire. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's sort of it. Yeah, you so know. she had a massive profile. Yeah, huge. Yeah. Huge. And even... Now today, I don't think there's any, yeah. you know, that, that you see frequently on television. Yes. Certainly when I, I know that I said this when I met Sue, but I was like, when I was growing up, it was really reassuring to see you on TV. Yeah. It's really reassuring to see you on Late Lunch. Yeah. And be like, oh, fine, we yeah. exist. Thank exactly. God for that. Exactly. But because Sue was this famous person and you were, they Working thought you were straight yes. before. Yep. Oh my gosh. And that sort of idea of like, you know, someone's been turned or something like that. Was there any of that? Like, did you have to like, were you seeing paparazzi and stuff like that? There was a little bit of, of there, there was a lot of media interest at the time and there was a little bit of, you know, occasionally being shot by paps. Yeah, there was a lot of interest in our relationship and sort of still is, even though we're, we're still really good friends. There's yeah. still a lot of interest around, you know, me and her and our relationship and our friendship. Being in a relationship is wonderful for me. I love being in a relationship, but it's like, it's constantly juggling, isn't it? Like if you've both got careers, you've both got yeah. stuff on. And then to have like the added thing of like people being a bit nosy. It's it's really, really, I mean, you must know this anyway, because you're very well known and obviously you're you're married and, mm. you know, you talk about your wife. So you you must... If you haven't already, you will be getting that that media interest. Yeah, and yeah. it's difficult. And especially if you, you know, you've got a family. Yes. I think the most difficult, actually, no, it, it was difficult when we first got together because, of course, I'd just split up with my partner of 18 years. Yeah. And he didn't deserve any of that sort of press intrusion and speculation. And, you know, again, people finding it quite funny oh, that, that yeah. we'd got together. And then equally, when Sue and I, our relationship ended... Yeah, my, my family were doorstepped, you know? Uh, and it's just like, who... Who does who that? Who does that? And why is this so interesting? 
you know, so yeah, it, it, it's, it has been difficult. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Cause it feels like, yeah, as we mentioned earlier, there's, there's, there's that uncomfortable thing that I think happens to a lot of women when we first sort of realise that we might be attracted to other girls. You go, oh, there's sort of a titillation. Yeah. Yeah. To this that I, and, and it's about people that I have no sexual interest in. <laughs> like, it's like, you know, that those are the people that have it. Yeah. Like men that are being like, oh, that's nice. Yeah. Like, well, it's not. You're literally not involved. You couldn't be less involved. Yeah. yeah. But I was going to ask, like, what, the, the fact that you've been so, you know, on television, you're so open and you're so willing to, and as you say, like, you know, because of you growing up in this sort of very outward facing open house. Do you think that people sometimes ask you too many questions because of your job, because you're, Maybe. because you're paid to do that on the telly, but it's a different scenario when you're doing a documentary. Yeah. Well, so you think that, that, that people ask me too many personal questions because I'm an open book. Yeah, I'm just, I'm, I don't know. I'm asking, I'm wondering yeah. whether that's the case. Do Maybe. You think? And, and you know what? Yes. And long may that reign because actually, mm. obviously I, I protect certain areas of, of my private life. Which we've all got to. Absolutely. And I, I protect my, my family as much as I can as well. But I'm really happy to be an open person as much as, as, as I can. Mm. Um, because I think it's important to be authentic and to, to enable people to connect with you. Yeah. Because that's what our job is all about. 100%. Yeah, you know, totally. We communicate. This is about connection. So that is really important to me. And did you find when you first started doing stuff like that on television? So I'm thinking, so it was the big breakfast, and then you did that like Love Bites thing that was like a shoot off of it, wasn't it? Where you. So just to, is to, that be, right? to be clear, on the big breakfast, I was never a presenter on the big breakfast. Oh. I was, I was um, in production on big breakfast. Oh, well, then what were the clips that I saw of you doing an interview? Oh. Oh, I did, on the Big Breakfast. No, I just thought that was the Big Breakfast, but I don't massively it, it remember. May, the yeah, it may well have been, it may well have been something else. Right. Okay. But yeah, I mean that that. Do you know this happens to me quite a lot? So I probably need to change my bio. But no, I worked on the Big Breakfast. Right. Okay. So um, you were in production. Right. Okay. And then I flip flopped into presenting, and I started doing yeah a show called Love Bites on yeah, ITV, okay. right. which was a sex and relationship show. Oh, so I okay, I misunderstood. I thought that that was an offshoot of, no. big, of the Big Breakfast. Right. Okay, but that was where you were interviewing people. Do you know? Okay, so I've done so the way that brief biog. The, no, the, I'd love. I love it. The way that my career has gone is that I started on the Big Breakfast in production. Yeah, I then flip flopped out of that into presenting, mm. where I did a film series on ITV. Yeah. Um, I did Love Bites, which was a sex and relationship show. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I did various other things actually, which I can't remember. And then uh, quite a sort of catastrophic thing happened whereby I interviewed Arnold Schwarzenegger and all I can tell you is that um, I ended up suing him. Yes, I did read a little bit about this. So I then pretty much lost my career as a presenter for quite some time and then managed to get back into television in production and I was very, very lucky that I managed to go from presenting to then going back in as a producer. So how long ago was this? God, this must have been, I want to say, maybe sort of 2000. But so I, I was out ago. of work for quite some time, probably a good a good 18 months. I'd gone from oh, being on TV, having a great career in television, to then having nothing. And signing on, and having that whole nightmare of people going, are you that 
girl that used to do? And yes, can I just have my housing benefit? Yeah, okay, thanks. And I was so lucky that I managed to get back into production as a development producer. Right. And then created formats, things yes. like You Are What You Eat. Yes. You know, stuff like that. No, it's like home. And then I worked my way up in production to exec level. So I was getting oh, pretty right. senior. Yeah. I was going for commissioning editor jobs, which, yeah. you know, really wanted to do. And then I got asked to present again for Channel 4. So here I am, sort of 15 years later, mm. as a presenter. So I flip-flopped. Do you still produce? I'm co-producing something at the moment, actually, right. for, for Channel 4. So yes, I, I keep my producer's hat on and I, I like to keep that hat on. And I bet that directors and producers love you for that. Because I'm I, not sure about oh, that. Oh, really? Because yeah. I would have thought that would be like really useful that a presenter sort of gets the whole thing. It should be useful. And I think if we were in America, then it would be... Then it would be great. It's it'll so be good. Great, She's honey. so good at getting it done. She Triple just gets the job done. Triple threat. But over here, I still think that there is a suspicion of, in inverted commas, talent that can also know how to produce. So mm-hmm. I think it's almost you're wearing too many hats. And we're a little bit behind yeah. behind the curve, I think, of, of the States. I think it's going to change mm. because we've got the younger people coming up behind us yeah. who can do everything. Yeah, who you are know, like but, making their own stuff all the course, time. Of course, of course. So I think that's going to change and I really hope it does because actually we should be embracing talent and skill in all its forms. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, the young people, they're terrifying. <laughs> <laughs> they really are. Love them. Of course. You were saying before about sort of the press intrusion into yours and Sue's relationship and you leaving in the other relationship. Was there a moment where you had to sort of come out publicly or was it like that had been done for you by a snap in the paper? Uh, Yeah. So basically, I I think the story first broke, of course, in the Daily Mail, I think. But you know what? I've never been forced out. Yeah. um, And I've never been ashamed of that. No. And actually, again... I have my parents to thank for this. And I guess because of our, our open background, but I rang my dad. My dad's not not very well. My, my dad has dementia oh. and, you know, he's, he's, he's much older now. Mm. Um, my mum, thank God, is, you know, in full fettle. But I very specifically, when I met Sue, rang my dad to say, look, dad, you know, I need to let you know that, you know, Charles and I have split up and he was part of the family. You know, mm. so this is my ex. And I need to let you know that I'm now with, with a girl. So I'm, I'm with Sue. And I just wanted to let you know that, you know, before anybody else tells you. And my dad was so amazing. And he just went, well, darling, you know, as long as you're happy, that's Mm. all I care about. And as long as she takes care of you and you take care of her, that's great. And I mean, you know, for a man who's now 83 and comes from the church. I think that's really important. It was was incredible. And and my mum was super, super, super supportive. So I'm very grateful to them both that there was no problem at home with yeah. me saying I've fallen in love with a woman, it was more the rest of the world. But also if you're like home is our, for lots of us, it's the foundations, isn't it? So if it's okay at home, yeah, then fuck the people that are going to give you shit. Exactly. Because you've got that sort of base. And I've always had that confidence. My parents and my upbringing gave me that confidence mm. to be able to go, I don't give a fuck what you think. It's, it's yeah, fine, brilliant. I don't care about that you so write what you like yeah. I've, I've met somebody I'm in a relationship with a girl so what and I, I think it's really important that to share stories about because we have people writing into the show and we've had people on the show who you know have had a complex relationship with faith yeah. because of sort of outdated teachings or people 
you know, viewing one line in from the Bible a certain way. And I think it's really important to to note that because I I actually went to a wedding at the weekend and the the priest, I've not been in a church for a while. It's my friend's wedding and it's a straight wedding, but they were very clear that they have got lots of gay friends coming and they really wanted to to feel, feel very open. And the, the vicar himself is gay. And there was a, he did a little speech before the service began where he said, I, before we begin, Maisie and Mike want, want me to share this, but also it's very important that I share this. I want you to know that you're very welcome here, whether you're religious or not, whether you follow a different religion, you're very welcome, whether you, whatever your gender identity, what sexual identity is, I want you to know that you are very, very welcome here. And the doors are always open to you. And it was, I like found it quite emotional yeah. actually. Yeah. Because I thought I don't, I think that there are a lot of people of that, certainly within the Church of England. And I'm sure in the Catholic Church as well, just unfortunately a lot of their teachings are still, feel very much in the past to me. Mm. But I think that's really an important message of saying, you know, actually, I think people, you might assume people aren't as open-minded as they are because of something you heard at school or because of, you know, something from growing up. But actually... I think that people are a lot more accepting than you think. A hundred percent. I mean, I've always found, you know, my own experience, as I say, I'm a very spiritual person, not mm. necessarily religious, but my own experience of growing up within the church and still visiting lots of places of faith mm. is that what we're talking about here is is acceptance. Yes. And I've certainly always found an awful lot of the, the clergy or the rabbis or whoever, you know, spiritual leaders that I speak to are very, very accepting mm. because ultimately it's, it's what we were talking about earlier. This is about connection. Yes, this and respect. About, and respect. So I guess it's, you know, I'm interested in multi-faith and multi-identity, human mm. acceptance and connection. So that's what I am drawn to. And I find an awful lot of places of faith do offer that. Yeah, I think you're right. Now, before we go, I do need to, I've got to ask you some questions about Naked Attraction. Oh, yes. And I don't know, I hope you don't mind. I don't know if you, I, hope you're not, I hope you're not bored of talking about it. Never. Because people that follow my stand-up will know that I've talked about <laughs> Naked Attraction just a little bit in one of my shows. But you are so brilliant at being so supportive to everyone on that show. I can't imagine someone doing it with more grace. Thank you. How could you do it? What go on it? Yeah, not in a million years. <laughs> I mean, could you? Could you? No, do it? absolutely well, not. No. no. Well, I mean, if, the, if you never saw my face, I'm probably like, yeah, that's fine. Would you? <laughs> yeah. Well, only because no, actually, I've got some tattoos that peep that exes might give it away. <laughs> yeah. No, I don't have. I think it's brilliant that people do, but no, I find it yeah all a bit much. Do you? Yeah, I, but I get quite embarrassed quite easily. Do you? Yeah, I really. I mean, I'm sort of blushing a little bit now. Yeah, if everyone had out. They're bits and bobs. I mean, I'd be very, I'd be, I'd be like having a look because you know I'm only human. Hundred percent. But I think I'd be quite embarrassed. Do you ever find yourself getting embarrassed? Does that not Never. happen to you? Never. Because you've done a lot of shows where you've talked about sex, sex education show, yeah, and then you've done uh, this right. new one. Yeah. So um, naked education. Yes. So sex education, naked education, na naked attraction. There's a lot of nudity. I never get embarrassed about. I don't know what it is. Maybe. Yeah. I think I must have seen at least a thousand cocks. I mean, and fair play. I know. And, <laughs> you know. And I suppose after a while, well, once this... you've seen a hundred, you've sort of seen all the different ways they come. But that's what... <laughs> so I didn't to mean speak. to say that. <laughs> and, but also, you know, I've, I've seen 
so many boobs and vulvas and yeah, you know. And in fact, the, one of the one of the most extreme things I've ever done and seen on the show, and I hope you know this is this is okay to say on the show. But we have this amazing trans woman on the show. Mm. God, I can't remember her name, but she was extraordinary. She'd grown up as a Muslim boy. And she was now a trans woman mm-hmm. who'd been rejected by her family, mm. you know, for various, various yeah. reasons. But she looked fantastic. And as she came off the studio floor, I said to her, listen, you know, I've got to ask you, right? Because she was really, really proud of her of her vulva. Mm. I said, I've really got to ask you, can I have a look? Right, because, you know, your surgeon's done an incredible job. And she's like, yeah, sure. <laughs> so she takes me backstage. I said, like, take a look at this. Unbelievable to see. <laughs> What the surgeon has done yeah. in terms of male to female trans, extraordinary, incredible, incredible. And did involved. she want to come on the show in like a ownership of her body yeah, about being absolutely, proud of it? Absolutely. She wanted to come on to go, I'm a trans woman, I'm rocking it, I'm gorgeous and I'm looking for sex and I'm looking for love and mm. I'm really proud of who I am. And she looked amazing and was an amazing woman mm. so that was fine but again I mean you know with Naked Education I talk about having worked with in fact he lives down in Brighton a really amazing guy called Finn who's a trans guy um, oh I think I know Finn you, you probably know Finn so Finn the Invincible works in schools does stuff with kids does stuff with charities probably right okay yeah probably okay. But anyway he, go on but he's so Finn is an incredible trans man mm-hmm. and he came on to Naked Education and went naked to show us all his journey phalloplasty and all oh, wow. from having become you know having been a woman through to being a, you know a man mm-hmm. and that is a privilege to see that to, to see somebody's phalloplasty and everything that they've been through extraordinary mm. absolutely extraordinary so do I get the short answer do I get embarrassed no I'm curious mm. I'm intrigued by the biology and it's great isn't it because there's there will be people at home feeling like oh am I different do I is is of what I've got okay is this and, that, and the answer is yes yeah because everyone comes in all shapes and sizes yeah. Yeah. And this is it. So could I do the show? No, because I'm not that body confident, actually. But what I've learned from doing all of those shows is everything is perfectly normal. Mm. We're all normal and we worry so much. Do you think doing the show has made you more body confident? I think it's maybe made me more body accepting. Ah. But I don't know that I'm confident in my body just because I've struggled. I've, I've written a lot of, mm, of books yeah. on diet and exercise and all this kind of stuff. And I've always struggled with my own body and weight and that sort of identity, if you like. Mm. So I wouldn't say I'm body confident, but I'm certainly body accepting. And do you know what? At 52, I'm really grateful that my body works fucking well. Yeah. And right? I'm, I'm happy for that. I'm yes. happy for that. The, the older you get, and uh, you know, I'm, I'm a few years younger than you, but the older you get, the more you sort of realise like the marvel of your body. Do, don't you? Do you know what I mean? Like when you go, ah, oh, like yesterday I went for a swim in the sea. Then today I went to yoga, and you, you know, the the more different kinds of people that you meet in your life, the more you realise, you know, and and I mean this of like people getting older. You watch your parents get older. You watch their bodies changing slightly. You know, you know, I have friends with different abilities, you can sort of go, oh, like, even if I don't like exactly this or that about myself, my God, how my body works yeah. is amazing. The fact that I can use it in totally. this way. The fact I can use it. Mm. The, the, the fact that I'm healthy. So again, for, for me as a woman, you know, going through menopause, going into, into my 50s, 
it's just a marvel for me that it's like, I'm really healthy. So yeah, mm. I'm never going to like Pamela Anderson, but actually I look pretty damn good for, for my age and my body works. Yeah. And you know, this age you focus more on preventing stuff for when you're older. Mm-hmm. So making sure you're strong yes. for as you get older. And that's, that's my focus. Yeah, absolutely. I think you look great. That's fine. Uh, Thank you. Now I'm going to ask you the final question, yeah. which I ask absolutely everyone. And quite often it's a question about sort of a version of yourself before. So I'm actually thinking of the Anna that was dropped off at school yeah. with her big bag. It sounds like she needs a cuddle. Uh, I'd have given her a squeeze. If you could reach out, maybe someone that's listening to the show right now might be feeling that thing at the moment of going, okay, this is fight or flight. How am I going to get through this? What do I need to do? How can I rally inside of myself to get through this? Or if you could pick up one of those dream phones and call little tiny Anna Mm. and give her a few words of encouragement and support. We always like to end the show on a little bit of encouragement. What would you say? Do you know what? If I could talk to my 10-year-old self, I would say, kid, you've always known where you're going, right? You've done everything right. You've done everything right. Everything that you've done is okay. And you've done everything right. So I would try and instill that confidence in anybody Mm. that it's all going to be okay. And whatever you choose in your path in life, that's all right. It's the right way that you were supposed to go. As long as, do you know what? I I talked to my dad this weekend. And as as I said earlier, he's not a well man at Mm. all. And his memory is really declining because of dementia. But I said, dad, you know, what three things would you say to somebody about how to have a really good life? And he went, first of all, be considerate. Secondly, enjoy your life. Enjoy it, live it and enjoy it. And thirdly, be generous. And I guess I've tried to live by those three things. So I'd probably instill in the 10-year-old me those three things and just say, it's all right, kid. You've, You've done all right. You've done everything right because you've tried to be good and you've tried to be kind and you've tried to be considerate I think no you don't need to think that's right you've done it right Uh, a perfect way to end the podcast and this series thank you so much for being uh, being my final guest of the series I have loved this and I know my listeners will too so thank you so much thank you it's been an absolute pleasure thank you that was the brilliant Anna Richardson Thank you so much to her for coming on the show. Thank you so much to everyone that's got in touch over this series. I can't believe that this is the 99th episode. It is really special to me that so many of you listen every week. It really means the world. Um, So yeah, uh, if you want to get in touch, you always can. The email is hello at outwithsusieruffle.com. If you want to come and see me on tour, you can. I would love you to. I'm going all over the country and you can find out all the details at susieruffle.com. Please come along and wait around afterwards if you want to say hi. Okay, that's it for this series. Look after yourself and I will be back early autumn, let's say. Take care. Bye. Bye.